Hello. Welcome and thank you for joining us and listening to our podcast, The God Beyond the Bible. Our podcast is released weekly each Friday. The content of each episode is based on the questions and curiosities we all have about God and the Bible. Many of our topics are considered taboo in the minds of the mainstream church. You will find our discussions to be, I think, refreshing and often far from traditional. But we don't just skirt around these complex issues, but confront them head on, and not in the way you're used to hearing them discussed on typical Christian talk shows. I'm Alan Rowland, creator and host of The God Beyond the Bible. As of the launch of this podcast, I've been a pastor for more than 35 years. My co-host is my daughter, Trayson, and our engineer, co-producer, is my daughter, Tabitha. Our mission is to encourage our audience, along with us, to open our minds to the reality that God is simply too big to be fully explored or experienced by the reading and studying of a single ancient work. In short, the Bible's not the sum of God, and to think this is to limit what He has done, is doing, and what He will do in our future. So with introductions made, thank you for listening, and let's dive into the topic of the day. Okay, listeners, welcome to our podcast, God Beyond the Bible, the podcast by Seekers and for Seekers, and we're all the way up to episode 20. Uh, and as always, thanks for listening. We continue to do this podcast because folks listen. Uh, we don't profit or get financial gain or have a goal to do any of the such. That's the reason we don't hound our listeners to like and share. Uh, uh, we're not sitting back counting the likes and the shares and thinking there's some financial reward if we get a large enough listening audience. Uh, and as we stated before, money can in fact and does in fact change the whole dynamic of any mission. It does. How about shout outs? Yeah, our shout outs today are to Laura from Arkansas, Callista from Arkansas, and to Kenneth. And I'm really not sure where he's from. Okay, that's all right, okay. Kenneth. All right. And I want to shout out to Stephanie. And yeah. <laughs> I want to use my old preacher voice to shout out to Stephanie and Eva. <laughs> they like that. All right. Okay. In our last episode, number 19, it was one of those that we know it kind of pushes the boundaries of traditional thinking. It was on the topic of prophets and, yes, psychic phenomenon. Our main takeaway was how we view or estimate the value or legitimate legitimacy of that person's gift is often dependent on what title or label we give them. We've discovered that a person may perform the same supernatural task, but when they're labeled psychic, seer, clairvoyant, or one of the many other terms we can use, it seems to taint our thoughts on the source and quality of the gift that person's demonstrating. And of course, uh, as usual, and as always, as we know it's always going to be, there's folks that just don't enjoy and don't share our, don't share our openness <laughs> yeah, about right? this stuff. And, and uh, that's okay, too. And, you know, I want to say we always talk about comments. And I even appreciate the people that even give us comments like, you are what's wrong with Christianity today. Uh, yeah. you know, we get that comment, and we're used to it. And we know that uh, there's just people that are just not going to right. relate well, to this podcast. Well, some people just aren't where we are on their journey and maybe they won't be maybe this isn't their journey at all maybe everyone has and, and that's okay too. to take we love you just the same this Absolutely. is episode 20 we'd like to approach another subject that's really uh, probably a subject that some may not even be aware if you're just a regular church member it's a lot of times you're not aware that this is even an issue or this is being taught or this is something going on in the background that's been going on for nearly five over 500 years now but we're going to talk about predestination, predestination. And that starts us off, you know, let's start off with Webster's definition, which in the terms of theology is as follows. A God, 
that God foreordained everything that would happen or that God predestined souls to salvation or damnation. And that's just how Webster put it. A, God mm-hmm. foreordained everything that would happen. And B, God predestinates souls to salvation or damnation. That is the definition of predestination. So if we interpret this definition correctly, it's saying that every choice and decision we make in life was predetermined. So we really don't have free will or choice. And that our eternal destiny was sealed before we were ever born. Everlasting life or perish, it's all decided before we even start the journey. Using Webster's definition, let's start by polling our group here with the question. If asked if you are a predestinationist, would your answer be yes, no, or maybe to some degree? Well, I'm just going to go ahead and go first. I'm going to jump in. Even yeah, and give us an turn. explanation well, for why. Yeah, uh, I, I'm going to say there was parts of me that thought I was predest- predestination. There was parts of me that thought, well, maybe I share some of this doctrine. And when I really dug into the doctrine, guys, I'm not. Yeah. I'm just not. Yeah, I, I I'm agree. Sorry, I'm not. I can't, and I, we'll talk about the reasons why as we go through. But mm-hmm. I've got a real, I've got to have a real problem with this doctrine. Yes. And uh, I love you, hey folks that understand it. And I guess maybe that's, and we'll get into that. But you know, uh, they use keywords like the elect and the chosen and all of this stuff. And and I guess maybe if you're a predestinationist and you're listening to this, and I don't understand it, that's proof to you that I'm not. And it lasts, yes, yeah. that I'm not one of God's, let's go on. Tabby? Well, is believing that God knows what is going to happen the same as God foreordaining everything that's going to happen? Well, that's not part of the question. But we, <laughs> That's not part of the question. <laughs> well, that we I, I already answered. I agreed with you. I'm, oh, did, I'm kind of in the same. What did Tracen say about that? I'm sorry. I no, just, I'm not a predestinationist. But on the next question, you know, if believing in God Believing that God knows what is going to happen being the same as God ordaining everything that's going to happen, I really don't think it's the same thing at all. I think in the end, you know. You know, God God knows the decision you're going to make. And that's why this is just, this is, uh, of course, we're, we're taught that God is omniscient. And that's a theological term that means God is all-knowing. And I'm going to use my old man voice. This episode <laughs> showing promise of being a chicken and egg thing. We're going to chase some circles here. Hope we're not cluttering this up for you. You know, uh, the the idea is, and and, and listen, you say, well, that's Webster's definition. That's not the predestined. No, that's, as we go on, we're going to find out. Webster's definition is really Mm -hmm. what predestination is. When you sit down and try and do some real research into this, guys, it got over my head really quickly. Then you're not. I'm gonna stop. <laughs> I'm gonna stop. stop. I'm gonna stop doing that. I apologize. So, Tracy, you're but up there. Before we plunge into the passages from the Bible that seem to indicate that at least some of the writers of the Old and New Testament were predestinationists, or at least that they had thoughts that leaned in that direction, let's apply the definition to a topic we've all studied: the fall of man, or Adam and Eve's eating of the tree of knowledge of which they were instructed not to eat. What would predestination make of that event if you applied Webster's definition that God foreordained everything that would happen? Well, mm-hmm. would it mean that God set Adam and Eve up to fail or disobey or however you choose to describe what they did in this event? And if so, what are the ramifications of that train of thought? I mean, it could get out of hand really quickly, but what about 
applying this theology to the great flood of Noah's time, where the Bible says the wickedness of man was so great that God decided to destroy the earth in a flood. And if you look at that, I'm going to point something out here. There's one verse in there that God tells Noah, the wickedness of man has come up before me. Which almost makes you wonder. What? Did he... It said it came up before him. Like he had no it idea. It came to his attention. Yeah, yeah but it was he brought did not to his attention. But have you ever noticed, and I know I'm chasing well, a little what, rabbit that, here, but have you ever noticed that it comes up before him again with Sodom yes, and Gomorrah? Yes, it does. It has yeah. come up, the wickedness of Sodom has come up before me. And I think that's, that's where I get back to our angel studies. Mm-hmm. I think that's what angels do. I think angels keep God informed, informed mm-hmm. that they, they are his presence here on earth we i think we made that statement didn't we in the the deal well and you have to almost believe that too with ezekiel's beings with eyes all over their body the sea the seers that could see uh let us state that our intent's not to alienate or insult or tell anyone what they can believe about such topics we're merely exploring and talking openly about the topic in fact we'd love in the future to have a visit from a guest that's by their own definition a predestinationist and could explain to us i don't know I'm not going to say anything about that. Explain to us and our audience exactly what they believe and why. Yes. And, and do it in a non-confrontational manner, atmosphere. I'm not, again, I'm not putting pre folks that follow no, this no. doctrine down. No, and we don't down. want to attack anybody, but no, I think it no, would I'm be enjoyable to maybe have that conversation where some things could be cleared up person to person. Uh, myself, like y'all, I've done a lot of, did. I, my mind is just <laughs> numb from doing, and then when I started to discover how deep this uh, doctrine goes and mm-hmm, yeah. and uh, it's and we're going to be talking about that but so uh, to you guys does it seem like there's been an increase of people who believe in predestination well Tra- tabitha's got a little study and of course we're going to talk about that maybe later but she's got a few figures and this is something i knew i didn't know until just this last year that the presbyterian church was is it presbyterian yes it's strictly I mean, they it's, follow yeah, John Calvin. It's where it John all started, Calvin yeah. is their mentor that they follow, so they're predestined. And there's some others, the Restoration Church or the Reformation, something like that, and then some others are. But Tabitha brought a, something that's not new to me. I've been, no secret, I've been in a Southern Baptist, pastored Southern Baptist churches and a couple of community churches, but mostly Southern Baptist churches for most of my pastorate. So she's got a, little, a couple right. of figures well, here. The- The newest statistic that I could find was actually in 2012, so that's seven years ago. But at that time, about 30% of Southern Baptist pastors considered their churches Calvinist, and that was according to a poll by the SBC-affiliated Lifeway Research. so, you know, at 30% then... Pastors. Now, that's pastors. pastors who considered the church that they pastor. So that was obviously the doctrine they taught. Yeah. And it makes you wonder, does the audience catch on? I didn't for a long time. Huh? I Until didn't. I became aware of who John <clears throat> Calvin was and what he believed, I would hear people quote him and teach lessons based on his doctrine, and it never hit me what they were trying to say I, until it was pointed yeah, out to I knew me. an evangelist that traveled all over, and I've listened, been sitting in a lot of his revivals, and I had a guy just about three years ago said, yeah, now you know, he is just pretty well hyper-Calvinist. He is a Calvinist to the nth degree. Which is and something said, else we will get really into. Really weird because, I don't know, that just it weirded me out in a way to think that this guy, and then I went back and started thinking, he said, just listen, listen. Yeah. Just listen hmm. and, and listen to what he's saying, not what you think he's saying. And, that's, and I'm not saying, okay. Well, uh, 
And, you know, be sure and comment on this episode, everyone that listens. We want to know, are you a predestinationist? Where do you stand in all of it? What do you think? That, yeah, we love to hear opinions. And so. there are probably some of you out there that's like I was 10 years ago. I don't even know what he's talking about. Yeah. How can I comment on it? What are you even talking about? <laughs> but it's real. So that brings us to the end of segment one. everybody welcome back to god beyond the bible we're in segment two of our podcast uh, talking about predestination in the first segment we gave webster's dictionary definition of the theological term concerning the topic of predestination and again it may not be an all-inclusive definition there may be degrees of predestination that people embrace or parts of the theology they embrace and other parts they reject In other words, some may believe that God foreordains things to happen before they happen, but they may not believe that he predestinates a soul to salvation or damnation, or as we've come to believe, eternal life or eternal destruction. Well, in this segment, we'll discuss the most well-known figure of predestination. Yes, John Calvin. John Calvin was a Frenchman born... Tracing, can you do that French name? Jehan Jehan Calvin. Calvin. On July 10th, 1509. He died May 27th, 1564. Uh, He, like Martin Luther, was a reformer and left his study of the priesthood in the Catholic Church. He he was very educated and always controversial. He was always a controversial figure throughout his life. He did much for the progress of the Reformation movement, but was somewhat fractured in doctrine as far as he and Luther were concerned. Calvin was greatly influenced by and elaborated upon the Augustinian traditions and teachings of Christianity. Now, remember, Trayson told us, what is it in the last podcast or mm-hmm. well, a couple, couple podcasts ago? St. Augustine is the one who introduced Plato's doctrine of hell as eternal torment or uh, Plato's doctrine of the eternal soul, immortal soul. Yes. And then Augustine adopted and brought into the Catholic Church the doctrine that hell was an eternal torment. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Talking about John Calvin, various congregational, reformed, and Presbyterian denominations look to Calvin as the chief expositor of their beliefs, and whose teaching uh, and those teachings and beliefs have spread throughout the world. Now, Calvin's life, his influences and accomplishments cannot be summoned up by his belief in predestination. However, as far as our topic of predestination is concerned, I'd like to read a quote on the topic from John Calvin. It's this. This is John Calvin. I quote, All are not created on equal terms, but some are preordained to eternal life, others to eternal damnation, and accordingly, as each has been created for one or the other of these ends, we say that he has been predestined to life or to death, end of quote. What do you think of that? Well, (laughs) I mean... He clearly stated where he stood on everything, but I'm going to kind of throw in here. I don't think we can really talk about Calvinism unless we also discuss the opposite side, too, which is Arminianism. And and, and I think you hear a lot of Calvinists use this phrase. Mm-hmm. If you hear a pastor use this phrase, the Arminians yes. believe. Okay, go ahead. So it started with, I can't say this name very well, Jacobus. Arminius, who was a 16th century reformist, 
and he was actually instrumental in bringing many denominations out of Calvinism with his belief in conditional election, which meant that if you choose to believe, you then become a part of the elect. Arminius said, man controls his eternal destiny. God only foresees the outcome. Okay, so that gives way to free will. In yes. other words, we have the right to choose. We will choose you're our the, destiny. You're, you're not the elect until you believe. And once you believe, you become you a become part of the elect. But that leaves it open for anyone yeah. to become the elect, right? Yeah, it does. Whereas under Calvin's words, uh, it's already determined before you're ever born. Right. Mm-hmm. It's already determined where you're going to be. And I have a problem with this. I'm going to go ahead and say this. Calvin was a strong supporter of Augustine's eternal torment. Yes. So to believe... Calvin's thoughts that the predestinate some are predestined to heaven or some are predestined to hell as eternal torment that I can't I can't go there right and that's also a doctrine in itself and that's the doctrine of preterition and that basically means passing over and in the context of theology omission from God's elect I want you to say that about five times. I can't, I can't do that. But it's the flip side of predestination. In other words, in other words, the side people don't talk about. It's yes. the okay, side it's that the they don't side. talk about. Okay, okay, we understand the side of predestination. Everybody talks about you're the elect, you're God's chosen, sure. you're going to the good yeah. place. It's all going to be good and rosy for you. But putting it okay. simply, that means that there are some who are damned for eternity. They Can are you say not that on the radio? for salvation. I don't know. Will that give us a little <laughs> I don't, explicit? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, go ahead. I just, I'm just kidding. And I'll say it again. I, I messed you up. Okay. No. The other side of this, this predestination is this. Is preterition or preterition. But it means that quite simply, some are not chosen for salvation. You are born. You are to born to go to hell. Go to hell. I mean, that's honestly, you cannot look at it any other way that I know of. I can't. I can't balance it in my mind either and any so, other so way. So go ahead and say what you told me earlier. So as hard as God is working to get the uh, the the elect or the chosen, as hard as God is working, as they believe he's working this thought, yeah. that as well, hard as, go ahead. And it, it's called, it's double, pre, double predestination. Okay. That means God Gosh. works equally to keep the elect in heaven and the reprobate out of heaven. In other words, he devotes as much energy as to keeping to these, keeping he, people, these out. people he has created out. Exactly. Wouldn't it have been easier just to zap them from the beginning and never let them well, be and born? That's, and that's where I keep coming to. And, and I, I did, I was laughing earlier, but it made my head hurt trying to go through because you go in cycles. Yeah. Trace and the it, Tabby, wrote, Tabby, by the way, wrote in her notes there, my head's starting to hurt. Yeah, I did. <laughs> but that's how you feel because the deeper, it just keeps going deeper and deeper and deeper. And you... It's hard to make sense Every, of it, and I guess okay, because without, I don't without making a joke to a Calvinist, to a predestinationist, is our inability to understand this doctrine means that we're disqualified as the elect? Yes, please tell us. Yeah, I don't know because I do not understand. So that means my life's just in vain. My life of preaching has just been in vain. My life of believing on Jesus is just in vain. If I'm not the, I mean, you say, oh, you're oversimplifying it. You're making it too, I'm just My mind cannot wrap around it in a whole, though, as a whole. But I'm just asking that question. I'm saying, is that what you say when you, when somebody goes to the preacher and says, preacher, I don't get that. I don't think that. And the preacher says, well, in his mind, he says, that's because you're not the elect. It could be. 
I'm just so asking the question. I'm not trying did, to be ugly. How did you get acquainted with Calvinism? Okay. Uh, about 20 years ago. I don't think I ever heard the term or knew that it meant to what it meant to be a Calvinist. In fact, that term didn't even come to my mind when I met this person. My first introduction was to an individual I knew who became acquainted with, uh, I became acquainted with through music. He was a drummer. Uh, he did some studio drumming in the studio. A good drummer, by the way. And I was associated with him. He also drummed in a gospel group where I played lead guitar and did vocals for a brief time. I can't remember how the topic even came up, but it was about evangelism or sharing the gospel with someone or wondering if a certain person knew Jesus or something along those lines that I brought up the topic to him. When he told me that the church he was part of did not believe in leading just anybody to Jesus. Or, or some phrase like that. Anyway, he proceeded to tell me that he, along with the church he attended, believed that salvation was already determined. And those people would know if they were the elect and would respond and would be saved. And again, I don't remember just what he said, but that was the gist of it. And, and later, a year or two later, he died. And I was always puzzled by this because he was my first encounter with someone who openly believed that way. And, you know, I wish I'd have talked with him more on the topic, but that's like 20 years ago. I don't think I was at a spiritual place that I could have held an intelligent conversation sure. or uh, in it. But anyway, but, uh, Tracy, I guess that you're up. Well, <clears throat> and, you know, I'm sure, as most of you have, especially in recent years, I've started to encounter many Calvinists to varying degrees and was recently introduced to the term hyper-Calvinism. Did I introduce you to it? Actually, no. I had come across this okay, recently. Okay, all right. <laughs> Hyper-Calvinism. Hyper-Calvinism. Okay, well, I didn't know a bit about it, hyper-Calvinism. I had to look it up when it was in our notes. Well, it came to me <laughs> when I heard someone use it. He said, I'm a Calvinist, but I'm not a hyper-Calvinist. Which is a completely different belief. Okay, let's share that with us. What is that? Do you know? Well, I, I looked up just the definition of hyper-Calvinism. And it says that hyper-Calvinism is a branch of Protestant theology that denies the universal duty of human beings to believe in Christ for the salvation of their souls. Okay, now, well, let's, 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 let's get this I now. had to really break that let's down. Let's break that down. Read it again for me. Hyper-Calvinism. Right. It denies the universal duty of human beings to believe in Christ for the salvation of their souls. In other words... Well, let okay. me put it, I'm going to put okay. this a little bit more clearly because I had trouble and I had to do some non-elect studying okay. to find it. But basically, hyper-Calvinists believe that Christ only died for the elect, where regular Calvinists, Orthodox Calvinists, believe that Christ died for all sin of all time, but only the elect Are go, to go to heaven. Get the wreath rewards mm -hmm. of it. Hyper-Calvinists believe that Christ only died for the sins of the elect and that believing in Christ is really unnecessary, but to reap whoa, whoa, whoa. any... Did you say unnecessary? Yeah, it is unnecessary. To the hyper-Calvinists, okay. To actually have an open saying, I believe in Christ. However, if you want to reap reward, you have to follow the law. Oh, oh, oh whoa. <laughs> whoa. Okay, well, y'all heard it. Y'all heard it right here. Heard it right here. And I saw a graph that basically said Calvinism and hyper-Calvinism. And it says in Calvinism, God makes you choose. God makes you choose salvation. You choose your sin. Uh -huh. 
hyper-Calvinism is where God makes you choose salvation and sin, you choose nothing. Okay. And I, I don't know. I mean, that's what I said. How do I choose my sin? I don't know. I don't know either. But God chooses your salvation and your sin. Okay. We're going to have to wind this part of it up. There's, there are predestinationists or Calvinists in many denominations, especially the Baptists, Southern Baptists. I'm, uh, I'm going to say Southern Baptists more than anything uh, because uh, I'm beginning to realize, and Tabitha talked about that 30% of pastors that mm-hmm. claim that they are Cal- in the Southern Baptist mm-hmm. arc, and I'm beginning to see it. I have seen it in our own local association where it has become really prevalent. I mean, outward and in the open prevalent of these folks that are Calvin. Uh, Many Baptist folks study after Charles Spurgeon. I know a lot of my colleagues who study after Charles Spurgeon who wrote, and this is, I'm quoting from Charles Spurgeon, I love to proclaim those strong old doctrines that are called by nickname Calvinism, but which are truly and verily the revealed truth of God as it is in Christ Jesus, end of quote, by Charles Spurgeon. Now, this is not to say if you disagree with the principle of doctrine of predestination that these men have nothing worthy of consideration and thought, but it seems that those who embrace this doctrine seem to be saying many of the things the typical evangelical Christian says, but with a twist on the interpretation. In other mm-hmm. words, you could probably hear a Calvinist preach and think he was preaching a general salvation message to everyone. Without realizing that it was meant but, only for the elect. And I hesitate to use this quote because I didn't write it down and I didn't. So I don't know. But it was one of those as you're just flowing through research and it pops up. Yeah. And it was from a Presbyterian or Calvinistic website. Right. And it said that the cross is sufficient for all, but not efficient for all. Yeah, Have fun with that one. That was a Spurgeon quote, I believe, wasn't it? Or yeah, I think so. that is Charles Spurgeon. Sufficient for all, but not efficient for all. So for some, it was sufficient to salvation. To others, they're going to have to burn. I, mean, I don't know. This blows my They're okay, going folks. to have to. I mean, in some variances of Calvinism, they believe that you can, the non-elect can believe, and there's enough grace to pretty well do it for them, but then they've got to work their way the rest of the way. Oh, that's dangerous. That's Galatianism, isn't it? That brings us to the end of segment two. Stay connected for segment three if you can. Episode 20 of God Beyond the Bible, the podcast by seekers and for seekers. Our topic today is predestination. In segment one, we gave Webster's definition of predestination and found it seems fairly accurate when we did a little research on the doctrine first elevated to new levels by John Calvin himself. We also learned that Charles Spurgeon seemed to indicate that he supported the doctrine of John Calvin. And let me say something right here. A guy that I did a lot of study, I had one old Bible commentary that I loved that I used all the time, and it was by John Wycliffe. And then I read that John Wycliffe Mm -hmm. is also a Calvinist. That he Hmm. was a, I mean, I don't know if that's true. I read that, and then I'd go back and read some of these things. I said, hmm, that (laughs) explains some things. But anyway. Okay, so in segment three on the topic of predestination, we're going to look at a few passages from the Bible that might lead one to believe that some of our contributors to the faith 
had some leanings toward predestination themselves. And then we're going to start, of course, with the psalmist David uh, in a passage that is often used as a pro-life passage in the church today, and that's Psalms 139, verses 1 through 6, and then I'll jump down to verse 16. Psalms, the 139th Psalm, first six verses. O Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. Got any problem there? No. You know when I sit down and stand up, you know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. Anybody get any problem with that? No. You know everything I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. Okay. I, I can live with that. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. Then you go to jump down to verse 16 as the psalmist goes on and he writes, You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Uh, what do you think? You know, Jeremiah and Isaiah, didn't they both made the statement, you knew me before I was born? Sure, and I always took those statements to be... Reincarnation? Well, I wouldn't really call it reincarnation, but I think our spirit always comes from God, you know. And I always read those verses to be that we have an intimate knowledge of Well, God I mean, before. I just, I, I look at that as his omniscience. Not that he made every decision for me before, but he knew, and I think he knows what's going to happen. I, You guys laugh at me. I told you but, this last week. Yes. There was a book I read, and I'm not going to say the name of the book, but people who have read it know it's a fiction book. But in the book was a character who could see the future. Okay. She could only see the future after the decision was made. Like after someone made a decision, then she could see how it was going to play kinda out. Kind of like Nastradamus's writings? Kind of, you know. And if that person changed their mind, then it changed. I'm not saying that God doesn't see our decisions and, you know, can't see the outcome until we make the decision. But I think he knows. But you, will you agree that our translation of that we have here of David say, seems to say that every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out. Everything I was going to do, you knew before I did it. Before a single pass, a moment passed. Well, let's look at a New Testament passage, Galatians 1.15, the author, the writer, Paul. He says, but even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. Now, if this were all Paul wrote on the subject, one might think he was misinterpreted or mistranslated, but let's go down to the book of Romans, chapter 9. In Romans 9, verses 10 through 16, I'm beginning to read now. This promised son was our ancestor Isaac. When he married Rebekah, he gave birth to two twins. But before they were born, before they had done anything good or bad, she received a message, Rebekah we're talking about, received a message from God. This message shows that God chooses people according to his own purposes. He calls people, but not according to their good or bad works. She was told, your older son will serve your younger son. In the words of the scriptures, Paul writes, I loved Jacob, but I rejected Esau. In fact, in King James reads, I loved Esau, but I loved, uh, excuse me, I loved Jacob, but Esau I hated. Yes. That's King James translation there. Verse 14, are we saying then, Paul writes, that God was unfair? Of course not. He doesn't explain. But anyway, <laughs> for God said to Moses, I will show mercy to anyone I choose. I will show compassion to anyone I choose. In fact, in King James, again, it says, those whom on whom I will have mercy, I will have mercy. Those whom I will not, I will not. Mm -hmm. Okay. He goes on and reads. So in verse 16, so it is God who decides to show mercy. We can either choose it 
or we can neither, excuse me, I hear some static in my deal. Uh, we're going to have to. Okay, we, uh, sorry about the static there. So it is God, Paul writes in Romans 9, 16, so it is God who decides to show mercy. We can neither choose it nor work for it. Then Paul goes on and talks about Pharaoh where he said, for this cause I raised you up. We've read that, you know, and even where it says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And, uh, but look in verse 22 where Paul writes there in chapter 9 of Romans. In the same way, even though God has the right to show his anger and his power, he is very patient with those on whom his anger falls who are destined for destruction. And then Paul goes on and talks about the elect. And this is the term used by most predestinationists, right? Yes. So many who support this theology use the words of Jesus when he said, many are called, but few are chosen. And they say, ah, see, right there, Jesus supported predestination. Now, do you find it perplexing that the Apostle Paul may have been convinced that only certain people were elect? Were elect and their destiny was already sealed by God's foreknowledge and ordaining. Was that what he was saying? I'm going to say this really carefully, but okay. you have to keep in mind that Paul was a Jew. Okay. And they were an elect people. They were a chosen people. So I can see how it could be very, very easy for Paul to go ahead and pull that. And he was an important out of Jewish his, person. Out of, his, out of his Jewish background. Out of his Jewish tradition. Because remember, remember, they rejected any doctrine in the Old Testament. Any scripture was rejected from the Old Testament that did not portray them as God's elect. Sure. They and had to be the covenant nation. If it did not, it didn't matter who wrote it or how spiritual it was, it could not be contained in the Old Testament writings of the Jews. They would not keep it if it did not portray them as the elect and the and while for Paul, I um, know that his life was changed on the road to Damascus, I am sure that he did not let go of every bit of teaching he had learned doesn't throughout that, his entire life. Doesn't that go with our inspiration thing? You don't mm -hmm. quit being who you are just because you're inspired. And, and I'm going to go ahead and say here, people say that we're just taking pages out of the Bible and choosing what we want to believe. Uh, listen, there's no way you can lay the Bible over itself and it comes out uniform and and comes out right you just can't do it the bigger question is how does one square these two mysterious statements in galatians and romans with paul's declaration that salvation is for all who believe just a few chapters over in romans he says salvation is for all who believes at the conclusion of paul's salvation message we often refer to as the roman road to salvation remember romans 10 have you ever mm -hmm. heard that as a kid mm -hmm. it's the roman road Romans 10, 5 through 13, he concludes with this statement in verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How do you square that with God's already decided? Now, simply, I can't. I, can't I mean, and either. that's been my whole problem through this whole doing the research and everything is I cannot square that away in my mind. I, I'm going to try. I know that we're getting low on time, um, but I have to read this little conversation between John Wesley, who was an Arminian. Right. He, and he was the rest of us. Yes. Okay. <laughs> and Charles Simeon, who was a Calvinist. Uh -huh. And this course happened in the 1700s. Um, Simeon said, Sir, I understand you're called an Arminian, and I've been called a Calvinist, so I suppose we're to draw daggers in battle. But before we begin combat, I'd like to ask you a few questions. Do you believe that you're a depraved creature and that you would never have thought to turn to God if God hadn't put it in your heart to turn to him? To which Wesley replied, I do, sir, indeed. 
Simeon said, Do you utterly despair of recommending yourself to God by anything you can do? And do you look solely to the blood of Christ for salvation? To which Wesley replied, Yes, solely through Christ. Simeon said, But once saved by Christ, shouldn't you then save yourself by your own works? Wesley said, No. If I must be saved by Christ, it has to be Christ alone. Simeon said, So, if you return to God's grace, then... Do you then keep yourself by your own power? Wesley said no. And they go on for a few minutes, and Simeon says, Sir, um, all your hope is in the mercy and grace of God to preserve you into his heavenly kingdom, correct? Wesley said, Yes, I have no hope but in him. And Simeon replied, Then, sir, I'll put away my dagger, for this is all that my Calvinism is. My final perseverance, it is in this that I hold. So if you please, instead of searching out terms and phrases to be a ground of contention between us, let us begin to search cordially and unite in those things with which we both believe. And I think that's something we have to remember in this. And, is, maybe, and that was good, and, that, and that's very important. Uh, uh, I have to go back to Jesus' words to Nicodemus. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. So if you believe in predestination, so only the the ones who are, you say, yeah. I mean, would a, Cal, would a person that was a true Calvinist say, well, yeah, that's true, because you're not going to believe on him unless you're elect. That's where it boils down to. Chicken and egg? <laughs> Chicken sure. and egg it is. I mean, okay. Are we ready to conclude? Go ahead and conclude us. I cannot subscribe to the doctrine of predestination by definition. Uh, you know, here, here we have just another instance where two opposing views can use the same work, that is the Bible, to argue very different doctrines. Mm -hmm. It's been going on for millennium. In my mind, if predestination is the prevailing doctrine concerning salvation, why do we evangelize? Why were the early disciples commissioned to go to all the earth, sharing the good news and baptizing? Now, maybe I'm oversimplifying. But why even have a God discussion if it's all predetermined? Do predestinationists believe that they were only put here to evangelize the already chosen or elect? And what, and what if one of the elects should fail to be evangelized in his destiny? Would his destiny be the same? As for me, listener, I can't square David's or Paul's statements with my spirit. That after all, is, and after all this is the discerning force in every believer's life. No more than I can square James' view that it's, it's works that justifies us and not faith alone. Or balance grace with the law. Bottom line, it is only when we make the Bible infallible and call it sacred holy scriptures that we must wrestle with such questions and dilemmas. When we understand that the authors of the words written were human just like you and I, and that they were entitled to have views that we do not have to share, they were truly inspired but just like all the rest of us, inspiration does not equate to one being infallible yeah. or mean that every word they spoke and thought, every word they spoke and every thought they had was divine. Well, as we promised, we're determined not to skirt around these complex, complex issues, but meet them head on no matter how challenging they are. Jesus has the final say. He said, believe and live or else you perish. Until next time. I pray God's grace, peace, and love on you, my fellow seekers. Did you enjoy listening to God Beyond the Bible? Do you have an idea for an episode? Connect with us today. 
visit our website at godbeyondthebible.com, all one word, or send us an email at email at godbeyondthebible.com, or you can visit us on Facebook. Just type God Beyond the Bible into the search bar.